Intentionally Grown. I'm your host, Brian Willie, along with my co-host, John Kessel. Episode 56 features the head coach of Sioux Falls Roosevelt, Kim Nelson. Coach Nelson discusses his illustrious career and the guiding principles he's implemented in creating a sustainable culture of success. We also discuss Coach Nelson's RPO and one-word play systems and how both have enhanced the efficiency of the Roosevelt offense over the past few seasons. This season, Intentionally Grounded is partnering with First Down Playbook. For coaches looking for a playbook software that is user-friendly and can deliver the clarity necessary to share and communicate your scheme with coaches and players alike, check out First Down Playbook. For more information, check out their website at firstdownplaybook.com, and for our listeners of our show, enter the code IGFB20 when purchasing individual or program memberships to receive a discount at checkout. Again, that code is IGFB20. Don't forget to check out our website at igfootballcoach.com for all our blog posts and podcast episodes. And check out our newly released YouTube channel that houses the video cast version of our podcast episodes as well, along with additional content related to leadership, football, and coaching development. Episode 6 of Season 3 of Intentionally Grounded with Coach Kim Nelson starts now. Well, we're here with Coach Kim Nelson of Sioux Falls Roosevelt. Coach, tell us a little bit about your background in coaching. Sure. I, um, I've been coaching 41 years. I've been a head coach every year. Um, I was lucky enough my first year in Millbank, South Dakota, to to get the head job there right out of college. Uh, it's kind of a smaller town and coached there for eight years. And then we moved to Rapid City, where I coached at Rapid City Central for six years. Came to Sioux Falls and coached at Washington High for 12 years. Moved to Edina, Minnesota for four years there. And now I'm back in Sioux Falls at Roosevelt High School and just finished our 11th year there. Um, married to Shelly for 41 years. Uh, had two sons, Ross and Joey, both played for me and coached with me at different times. Um, I'm originally from Lake Benton, Minnesota, where I played for my dad. Um, nine-man football, which was awesome. And uh, went to college at Dakota State College in South Dakota, Madison, and played uh, – football, basketball, baseball back in the day where you could do that. And uh, I'm uh, hoping I can keep coaching for a few years and and uh, maybe be buried on the 50-yard line someday. Who knows? As you stated, too, you spent some time as a head coach at various locations, uh, including a little bit in the Twin Cities. Talk about yeah. what the process and kind of the aftermath was, what it was like to, to leave these places and the relationships and bonds that you've created. Yeah, that's a, I always kind of joke when I go to a coach's clinic or talk at a clinic or something that I couldn't keep a job. I've been at five different schools, but <laughs> it's a, it's a really hard thing to go, uh, you know, sometimes to leave a school. My, my dad gave me some advice one day, one time when I was first at Millbank thinking about leaving to go to Rapid City. I actually interviewed for three other jobs um, that spring. And he said, if you stay for the kids, you'll never leave, which is, I don't want it to sound like it's harsh or, or uh, unfeeling, but he's right, you know, because you could, if you go to high school, coach in high school, and I think if you do your job right, uh, it's really hard to leave those players behind and to leave kids that you've worked with behind. And uh, he told me, if you, if you stay for the kids, you'll never go. And I've, I've kind of stuck to that. And there's been a lot of times where I've stayed uh, where I kind of thought I wanted to go to a different place and uh, we've decided to stay. And so um, it's a tough decision to make because, you know, if you're, I think if you're doing your job, you're going to put your heart and soul into it and 
you're going to develop relationships with players and coaches and teachers and administrators and parents and, you know, people in the community and, and you're going to be real comfortable there. And, uh, but I also have a, a kind of a saying that change is good. And, uh, so I'm kind of contradicting myself sometimes, but uh, I think it's it's a difficult thing in coaching to, uh, if you think you're just going to bounce around from job to job, you're going to pretty much pretty soon find out that nobody wants to hire you anymore. Uh, so you have to be able to devote some time at every job. And um, my son is trying to be a college football coach and that's right now, and that's a very different dynamic. But I think in high school, you need to, um, stay at a school for a while. And a while is relative to each coach, I guess. But for me, I was shooting for at least five years at every school and, and uh, I just about made it. And uh, um, you, you, you know, you can't just be looking for the next job. And I thought one of the great pieces of advice that you get at coaches clinics all the time is make your current job, your best job. And I, I tried to do that, I guess, over the years. And, and uh, we, it just works out so that you have a lot of friends from those schools if you were there for a while. And uh, certainly it's better if you have some success, but um, either way, you still have to develop relationships to work with those people. And and uh, I think it's really important to uh, think hard about leaving a school. And if you're going to go to another one, make sure it's the right reason. That um, it's a positive thing for you and and that you've left your program better than it was when you started. Now you're currently at Sioux Falls Roosevelt, as we've talked about before. If you had a look at it from the outside perspective, how would you describe the culture of your football program right now? And what are some of the ways that you've kind of built up this uh, culture along the way? Culture is a really um, unique word, I think. And, and in football and in sports and coaching, it's crucial that you have a culture that works for you. Um, but I, I, I hope that our culture at Roosevelt is one that people know that we're going to be competitive every year, that our players are going to play hard, uh, that we're going to play clean football and that we're going to be respectful of our opponents and our officials and our other coaches. And, and uh, that we're going to try to win uh, every game and try to do it the right way. Now, everybody has their own version of what that is. And so um, it's, you know, we've had a, a struggle with that at times. Uh, I'll just give you an example of our team this year, I thought had the best culture we've ever had in our locker room and in our school and from the seniors all the way down to the freshmen. Um, the freshman players would even tell me that the seniors treated them so well that uh, they really enjoyed coming to football practice every day. And I've had years where that wasn't always true. Some seniors like to think now it's time for me to pick on a freshman. And, and so we've tried really hard to eliminate that kind of thing. But um, the other thing that I've, I found with our team this year was that we weren't maybe as mentally tough in big games as we should have been. And at, when the season was done, we lost a tough game in the playoffs and the semifinals to a good team that eventually won the state championship, but um, it, it didn't bother our players as much as I thought it should. You know, so that's the old, crusty old fart in me, I guess. And that, uh, you know, I, it, it means something to you. I think when you you have a chance to get to the state championship and it doesn't happen, it, it should 
it should bother you a little bit more. So I've been meeting with my coaches and talking with them about our culture and about, you know, how can we get over that hump, that semifinal hump? You know, we've been here 11 years. We've only won one state championship. We've been in the finals four times. We've been in the semifinals every year. You know, we should, we're the biggest school in South Dakota. We should, I think we should play in the state championship more often. And, uh, so we're working on our culture all the time. Um, but to me, the key in, our, in your culture has to start with getting parents involved in your program. And that certainly doesn't mean they're going to call plays for you or coach with you. But uh, we have a mom's night, uh, mom's football night to start the season out. Uh, and we uh, rent a room at a restaurant and, and get them some appetizers. And, and we ask them to bring us some questions. And my defensive coach and I, have a PowerPoint that we go through and talk about the basics of football and answer all the questions that they might have about football in general and some of the rules and the equipment and all those kind of things. And, and I think that gets us off to a good start with the moms. Uh, we try to encourage our dads to get involved at the lower levels by running the chain gang for us and running the clock. And sometimes they're announcers and, and being involved in that way. Um, we always start every season. I'm pretty sure this is a almost a mandatory thing, you know, with a parent meeting. Um, and we, we talk there about the chain of command. And, and if they have issues with what's going on with our program, they they know how that goes. And and I make sure that they understand that I'm the final word on on what happens in our program. And you know, the proper way to, to uh, question things and to meet about things and talk about things in our program and and so, uh, you know, the other thing about culture is I think it's getting harder and harder now with uh, social media. Um, you know, we have a, a different app or two on our phone that helps us connect with our players and and let them know if there's been a practice change or a, a schedule change or anything. And so we obviously use social media in a very positive way to communicate with our parents and our players, but it also makes it difficult when uh, our players see all these different uh, Instagram things and and Twitter feeds and things that are are uh, where players will put on their highlight film and or they'll talk about different schools or different coaches or uh, whatever. Uh, it seems like uh, social media allows you to uh, say anything you want to and without any real reprisals or anything like that and. And so we always, it's a struggle, I think, to overcome some of those issues that our kids have today that we never had to worry about when we were playing. Um, but we have a website, you know, we have a meet the writers night where grade school kids come to our game and get autographs of our players after the game. Um, you know, we, we take our, with us last year, we took our whole varsity team over to watch a middle school game. Uh, so that the middle school players and coaches could get to know us a little bit better. Um, you know, it's, it's a constant thing, uh, developing your culture. One of the best things I think I've done is I, I ask our coaches, uh, we take one after one practice in preseason, a different assistant coach will stand up in front of the team at the end of the practice. And, and uh, I just tell them, you get five to 10 minutes to talk about anything you've ever wanted to say to the team. Uh, obviously I want it to be positive. I want it to be constructive, but tell them a story about yourself. Tell them, you know, pick a word or something that you want to discuss like confidence or, 
or intensity or something like that and just talk to the players about it for a while. And, and they then their players get a little bit from somebody besides me. I think that's really important that they uh, understand that our all of our coaches think that football is important and that uh, um, they're willing to share you know, their experiences with, with our players. So uh, I guess finally the, the other part of our culture that's important is how our kids are in school. And so I, I make it a point every year to tell all, all of our teachers in the first teachers meeting that if any players in their classroom give them any kind of trouble, uh, they don't do their homework or they're acting up in class or they, uh, you know, are falling behind or they're struggling in some way that they need to let us know as soon as possible. And so uh, and I, I like to tell our teachers that we can motivate them in ways that teachers can't. And they kind of chuckle a little bit. I mean, we don't punish them or anything, but we, you know, we can certainly threaten with their playing time if they're not reacting right with the right way in school. And and we've done that before. So uh, I think what it does is it helps our players understand what our priorities are. And in our school, our football team, um, we have a slogan that goes on our helmets. It's just a, a little sticker that says TPT, and it stands for Team Pride Trust. And those are the three words that we try to build our, the culture of our program around. And and, uh, and those are some of the ways that we've done that in the past. That's great stuff, Coach. Um, when it comes to building your assistants, and you kind of talked about it a little bit there, just kind of some of the things that you, you ask them to do and allow them to do, I guess. Uh, when it comes to building your staff or when you have openings, what are just some of the core characteristics or values that you really look for when you're hiring those guys? I love that question I, I, because I, I think um, there's a lot of people that want to be coaches uh, to wear the polo at night on the sideline and be on, on the sideline and maybe put a headset on and and uh, look like you're coaching out there. But um, there's so much more to it than that. Uh, uh, every coach that I, I hire or interview to hire, um, they have to convince me that they're here for the athletes. They're here for the kids and that they're going to care about them. Um, that's the, probably the number one thing is they you have to care about your, the kids. If you don't like high school kids, you shouldn't be coaching them. Uh, if if you get tired of them, you need to get out. <laughs> um, and I really believe that uh, coaching high school kids keeps you younger. And you have to understand that they're not going to be like you and that you're not going to be like them. But there's a middle ground there, and football can be that middle ground. And uh, I have to know if my assistant coaches are going to be there every day. Um, I want to feel like they're willing to do whatever it takes. Uh, we have a we have nine paid assistants, and uh, I have five volunteer coaches. And the volunteer coaches, it's kind of a system that we have in our school district in Sioux Falls where a, a volunteer coach has a way of getting on the team and coaching without getting paid. But it gives them a chance to show us, I guess, how serious they are about coaching and uh, what they can do, uh, what they can't do. And it's almost like an internship kind of a situation. And a lot of our, most of our paid assistants were once volunteer coaches at one time. Not all of them, obviously, but some of them, many of them came up as volunteer coaches and they just did their job and and uh, found out what it, what it really took. And uh, I was able to feel confident about bringing them up and making them paid assistant coaches through our process. And so it's been a really good system for us to 
to use volunteer coaches to get to know some guys and, and that kind of thing. So, uh, but it's like every other, you know, I think head coaching position, you end up uh, every year having to coach coaches a little bit, you know, not, we've had a change in our coaching staff almost every year at one point or another. And uh, the, the, it's a race to get those guys on board because it's not like college coaching uh, where you can, meet with them anytime you want to during the off season, because that's all they do is coach. Well, that's not, none of these guys are just coaches. Uh, they're all working somewhere else and they have families of their own. And, and so I have to work my meetings with our coaches around their schedule. And so we don't get a chance to meet as much as we need to. And uh, our summers are very busy with me getting our coaches up to speed and uh, asking my other assistant, my veteran assistants to, to do the same. Uh, but um, coaching coaches is a big part of, of my job and, and a big part of the veteran coaches on our staff, uh, part of their job too. Um, but I pay for, uh, when I say I, I mean our football program pays for uh, all of our assistants, any of our assistants to go to coaching clinics. Uh, you know, we can't pay for their airline ticket to go to Florida or to a coach's clinic, but, you know, anything closer enough to drive to, I'll pay for the gas and I'll pay for the registration and, and as much of the expenses as I can um, so that they can go to as many clinics as we can afford to get them to. Uh, we host a clinic uh, in Sioux Falls every year, and, and I pay for that. Um, subscribe to several several different online publications and blogs. I think that's the wave of the future. Um, but a lot of coaching, I've learned a lot of things. I mean, I've been coaching for over 40 years, and and I used to think going to coaches clinic was the greatest thing way I could ever spend a weekend. I still love to go, but I've learned a lot of football online in the last five years (laughs) and uh, that I never thought I would say that. Um, And I still like talking to a coach face to face better, but um, sometimes you can get just about the same thing when you've got interactive blogs and things like that going on. But um, I think uh, one of the best things about social media now is the way we can share information about our sport which I think uh, I I don't want to ramble on too long here about that, but I think that's what makes football coaches special is that we share just about everything we do. And I borrow what I do from somebody else all the time. You know, I don't know if I've had an original thought in 40 years, but it's a, it's a great way to, uh, to meet people uh, by going to a clinic, but it's also a great way to get to know people by meeting them online and sharing information on your computer, on your phone, on whatever you're using. And so, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a subscriber to Coach Mackey and Coach Cube and football toolboxes and USA football and all those kind of things. And, and all of our assistant coaches have access to those things as well. So it's become a, you know, a, a almost necessary to keep up with the game. And, uh, you know, I still love to go visit a college program in person and listen to their meetings and watch them practice and watch them coach. That's maybe the one thing I love to do more than anything besides playing the game. So whenever I get a chance to do that, I, I do that. Now, support systems are extremely important to the overall health of program, whether it be parents or booster clubs or any other support system that a school might provide or a program might provide. So looking at your support systems, maybe specifically the booster club what are some of the ways that you interact with them and help them uh, become a big part of your program? 
It's uh, a little bit unusual at Roosevelt High School because our booster club, uh, we don't have a football booster club. We have a an all-sports booster club. And so and we just have one booster club in our school and, and there for uh, fine arts and all boys and girls sports, just one booster club. And so um, I don't get as much uh, money from them. We fundraise most of our own money. Uh, when I was coaching at Edina, we had an Edina Football Association that raised money just for the varsity football program. And uh, they did a super job of that. Um, but at Roosevelt, I, I get uh, a little over $2,000 a year from our booster club. And that's all I get. Now, if I need some more, I can go ask for a special, um, you know, a little special amount, but I can't get over about a thousand bucks at a time. So I, if I have large purchases or big things we want to buy, it's a school district to raise the money myself. Um, which is not ideal, but um, but we do have a lot of uh, contact with our booster club, obviously. And and in Sioux Falls, every year, all of our high schools are named after the four presidents on Mount Rushmore. And so we have a, a bowl game where we play each other every year in the early part of the season called the President's Bowl. And it's a big fundraiser for all of our public schools. And we each raise a little over forty to $50,000 every year from that. And our booster club gets all of that money. So that helps to pay for um, all sports. And uh, so we, but we do things like uh, the the beginning of the school year, um, I go to the booster club, one of their first meetings, and I talk about our football team and and, uh, thank the booster club for their help. And and then at the end of the season, I usually bring our captains in and then they get to talk about how our season went and what they thought about it. And and, uh, we want to keep the booster club happy. And so we volunteer our players for any, fundraisers that they do. Uh, we ask them for help in any of the fundraisers that we do, but um, they're usually pretty busy. So um, it's it's changed a little bit, and I think every school is a little bit different. And so our booster club is not, uh, like I said, it's not just for football, and so we're just one of the sports that they support, uh, one of the activities that they support, because, uh, as I mentioned, they support fine arts as well. And so uh, – um, but the other area in support staff that I guess I, I wouldn't mind mentioning to you is our trainers and our strength coach. Um, our trainers are provided by one of the hospitals in town, and we have two that are just for football, and they're priceless. You know, you just have to have one. I think everybody knows that. But there's some schools in South Dakota, some smaller schools that just don't have any any resources for that. And uh, when you have good trainers. Um, you have a good atmosphere, I think, in your locker room and in your training room and, and on the sideline. And and uh, I, I get along with our trainers really well. And, you know, if they say somebody's not able to play, I don't even blink an eye because I know that they, they're they doing what's best for the kid. Um, we had added a strength coach about five years ago. And uh, I know it makes a difference what kind of a person they are, but it was the best thing we've done in our football program since I've been here. To, uh, I used to be the strength coach, and I did it because I had to, and it wasn't. I, I tried to be passionate about it, but uh, I, I was mostly just grumpy, and uh, it, we just. I didn't like the atmosphere in our weight room, and if I tried to lighten it up a little bit, then I didn't think they were working hard, and you know how that goes when you're the head coach and things aren't going right. But we got a, a strength coach, like I said, about five years ago, and completely changed our atmosphere in our weight room, completely changed my attitude about it. 
uh, I'm the cheerleader in the weight room now. And so I highly recommend to anybody, if you can get any kind of support we've got, he's also from uh, his salary is paid through our hospital. And also uh, our kids pay uh, X amount of dollars for their summer workout. And that pays for most of his salary. We get over 200 kids, not just football, but all sports, but we get 250 kids in our summer workouts and uh, they each pay, I think, $160. And that pays for most of his salary and that he's in our weight room every day after school all year long and um, pretty much every day in the summer. And that's just been a huge deal for us. And, and uh, any, any of that, anything that he does, he's like, he's obviously another coach. And uh, I go to the weight room just to listen to him motivate our guys because he's really good. I mean, if you get the right one, it's really special. And right now we have the right one and it's, it made a big difference in our off season. And it made a big difference in my attitude about uh, our program. And and that's why I feel like I can coach a little longer because I got somebody doing the weight room and, and taking that load off my mind. But um, otherwise I wish I could have given you more ideas about the booster club, but uh, uh, we uh, have a pretty good thing going here where we kind of fundraise for our own uh, purchases. And otherwise the school district takes care of us. Coach, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but you you do have a course a course on uh, Coach Tube about RPOs and one word plays. Yeah, uh, give us some, yeah. a little bit more insight um, as to how you have kind of incorporated both of those into your offensive system and why you believe both have become successful. I'm an old option coach. You know, way back in the day, I used to run midline, and we looked like tried to look like the Air Force and the Navy, Naval Academy, and those guys love option football. I think uh, the RPO system is a lot like option football for spread offenses. Um, I've I've become a spread offensive coach and for probably 15 years now, because I, I think um, it's, there's so many different versions of the spread that it can, you can adjust your personnel to that much better. And I used to be a head coach that would change offenses according to my personnel. I just felt like it was so important to run what your kids can run. And so I ran everything under the sun from I formation to wing T to double slot uh, option midline and uh, outside beer, inside beer, uh, fly sweep, you know, everything you can think of. And I, I think, you know, I just, I love spread offense, the concepts. And now with the RPO stuff coming in, it's just like going back to option football in a spread. So it's about as close to what I love to do that, as I could find. And, um, you know, one thing I learned about the RPO game is that it's just like option football. If your quarterback struggles with it, it might not be worth doing. Um, and so I had a, a great quarterback that played for the last three years for us, six, five kid that can really sling it, but he struggled with the post snap read in the RPO. And so we stopped doing it. And we just ran pre-snap RPOs where he makes a decision whether we're going to run it or pass it based on alignment. And, you know, it's not quite as good, but in high school, sometimes uh, they line up and they stay where they lined up. <laughs> and they you can actually figure out what they're going to do by their alignment um, if you watch enough film and that kind of thing. But um, uh, he had a great career with us and broke all of our career passing records and is going to go play some college football at Winona State. But um, we 
he wasn't comfortable doing the RPO, running the RPO, reading this stuff after the snap. And, um, you know, so we, we kind of notched it down a little bit. And uh, so we would run a really strong power formation into the boundary, tight end wing or an unbalanced look into the short side of the field. And then we'd try to either line up in or motion to trips or something or twins to the wide side. And we'd run either power or uh, inside zone or something basic up front. And we would just count defenders and uh, uh, we would identify for him who the defender in conflict is going to be for him to read. And he was able then to decide before the snap, is he in the box? Is he out of the box? Um, and sometimes we had to help him decide that. I would signal from the sideline to run or pass. Um, so that's another version, I guess, not the ideal version of RPO, but, um, uh, and he had a great career. He, you know, he, as I mentioned, he threw for a lot of yards and, completed 65% of his passes and only threw about seven interceptions all year. So, you know, it worked out for us that this year with him. Um, but uh, to read the true RPO, obviously the post snap read is much better and a little more of a true option look. Um, and it's just exploded, you know, at the college game and now the NFL is using it. And uh, the thing I like best about it is I don't know that, defenses have come up with a great way to solve it. You know, they have to play some, a lot of man coverage and get after you, I think, you know, but then I think if we can max protect and, and get a mismatch with a, if you have, you have to have a good player, a good player somewhere, <laughs> you know, and if we can find our good player and get him matched up with a linebacker or somebody or, uh, you know, then, then we can beat man coverage. But um, I, I just love the, chess game of coaching football and how uh, the RPO is just added to that. Uh, you know, we've got, we play against some really good teams with some really good coaches and, and they really make it hard and they challenge us by their alignment. And, they, you know, I, uh, got some, I play Washington high school and an arch rival and they always have a, an outside linebacker that we're reading that looks like he's going to blitz all the time. And then he'll sometimes drop and sometimes not hard to get a pre-snap look from him. You know, but, uh, you know, I think with our younger quarterbacks, we're going to be able to run a little bit more read RPO and post-snap read RPO with uh, them. And I uh, can't wait to start doing that. Uh, so that's kind of the history of my experience with the RPO game. I've had some success with it. And and then I've also had to, like I said, dial it back a little bit, depending on what our quarterback can do. Um, but the one-word plays have been really good for us. Um, at first, when I first started running no huddle spread, I thought I had to go really fast all the time, and and I found my I found that I was the guy slowing us down. I was trying to call the perfect play all the time, and I was trying to see what the defense was lined up and make sure I score a touchdown whenever I call something. And it, it's not like that, you know. I had I finally had to learn that just the tempo itself is enough to to have some success, and so. Um, once I figured out that I didn't have to be uh, smart to be to call plays, uh, I became a better play caller. But um, what we like to do now is to just change our tempo. And we'll go, the one-word plays give us a chance to go fast. And the one word would include the formation, the play, uh, and the snap count. And so that we just say one word and we line up and we go. 
and uh, we have some other one-word plays where maybe we'll have to change the formation once in a while. But um, one example, I'll just try to give you one example. This year we'd go unbalanced uh, to the field to the wide side and then had trips outside of that. Um, so you can do it by covering up your tight end or you can bring a lineman over and leave your tight end on the weak side. But your trips to the field and you're also unbalanced to the field. And so we would run power uh, to the unbalanced side or some kind of a three-man pass, you know, quick passing game out there with a stick route or a snag route, we call them, or uh, everybody has a different version of that. But um, And again, we're just trying to find that one player that's either in, a, in the box or out of it. And so we would just run that play, and our quarterback has a choice of run or pass. And then we would just say, we just signal to the quarterback, do it again. And so he would run the same exact play from the same exact formation. And if, you know, our our formation got into the short side of the field, he would have another call that would just flip the entire formation over and we'd run the same play again. And so we would go down the field. Sometimes we'd just have, we'd run the same play like four times in a row. But, um, and from the same formation. But we, if we got crowded into the boundary, we would just flip it over to the wide side of the field with a call and just keep going. And what we found was the the defense just, you know, got tired of running back and forth and trying to line up right. And it was kind of a funky enough formation where, you know, it's not a normal thing. And so we had a lot of success with that, uh, just going tempo for four or five plays really fast, you know, and then – We'll freeze them for a play and see what they do. And sometimes they'll jump offside and and sometimes they'll be lined up wrong and we can change the call or, you know, if it still looks good, we'll run the same play again. But uh, I just learned a little bit more about tempo just by using one word plays that we can go fast when we want to, and then we can just go slow um, and uh, try to lull them to sleep a little bit or give ourselves a break or, I think it's really important now more to change the tempo than to just go fast all the time. Uh, so uh, that's what we use our one word plays for. We're not, there's nothing, there's nothing special about them. One of them, uh, we just have an inside zone called and bubble screens on both sides. We're two by two formation and we're just running bubble or a now screen on the outside along with inside zone. And I just tell our quarterbacks, you're never wrong to hand it off. But once in a while, I'll tell them, hey, you probably should have thrown that one, you know. But uh, you have to be able to accept the fact that your quarterback's going to make the, the wrong decision once in a while. But it's just like running option football. So uh, the more reps you get, I think the better you get at it.